0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the No Rain, No Rainbows podcast. Thank you for joining us, taking the time today. And as always, shout out to my executive producer, Andre Suttles, Subtle Solution Media, helping to make this podcast possible. Today, we have a special call for you. We have speaker, executive, and communication coach, author of the Speak With No Fear best-selling book, Mike Acker, joining us on the call. Mike, how are you? Hey, I'm doing
1: incredible. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Love that we get to connect right here across several states and talk about, hey, how do we improve life? How do we do this?
0: So I love that I get to do that and bring some value to your audience today. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, we're cross time zones, cross state borders. And, and I always want to make sure that our audience and the guests have a moment to get acquainted. I really think it's important to give the guests the floor for a moment and let them tell their story and their words to our audience, to our watchers about who they are, what they do and uh, how they got here today.
1: Right. So I am the son of drug smugglers, turned into conservative small-town America, moved to Mazatlán, Mexico, moved back to the United States, overcoming several adverse situations of environmental speaking, of speaking without all this fear going on inside of me, and then transitioning from one career after 18 years to consultative sales, to launching out on my own, and being a
0: coach, speaker, and author. Yeah. I mean, it's an amazing journey. And the reason I love asking this question and getting the speaker to introduce themselves, because it paints a picture for the audience. And this is where we get to kind of erase that picture and start with the first brushstroke and the start of everything that you kind of gave us a hint towards was kind of your upbringing. And, and you mentioned that unique situation of your upbringing and how it actually plays into the impact on communication and leadership in your life now. And a lot of us, when we focus on the history that we come from, that can impact our own communication and leadership. So speak, I guess, a little bit on you know that situation being raised, the son of drug smugglers, turn conservatives to now how you use that in your practice in teaching leadership and communication.
1: Yeah, absolutely. My dad is the most extroverted person I've ever met. <laughs> and that was very helpful when he was cutting out the middleman, flying down to Columbia. Getting the high grade marijuana back in the time of the hippies and using his plane that he had taught himself how to fly and bring it back up to the United States, sell it and do an incredible life for himself, putting himself through college and then law school and living an extraordinary life pre-cartel days. That's my dad. All of us, we look at our parents, whether they were involved in our life or not, and we measure ourselves up to them at certain times. So it's hard when you look at a dad like that, who had all those, not to sometimes put yourself out there and go, well, why am I not as extroverted? Why am I not as confident in front of people in any situation ever? I mean, he's got stories that are crazy. He just recently released a book called Pirates, Scoundrels, and and Saints. It's on the shelf behind me because I'm proud of him. And as I read the book, Ted, every single character is my dad. As they're smuggling, I'm like, that's my dad. Every single character. And so, that's my dad. And then when I was a kid, he and my mom, who had joined him in his smuggling life, decided to radically move away from that. And they became, in the course of a couple months of separation from each other, they became extreme, devout followers of Jesus. And I'm not talking about like a political Christian or someone who shows up on Sunday. We're talking about feed the poor on the weekends, go visit AIDS victims. Let's go really do something in the 1980s. To the point where we smuggled bibles in china when i was five years old wow. so they invested into us and they made choices for our betterment they made choices not for themselves and their own preferences but really for us and they bought a little house and a cul-de-sac and they worked with us and even though i wasn't as extroverted as my parents They taught us the different things that we should do when we're in society. They taught me to do the firm handshake. They taught me to look people in the eye. And when my speech impediment manifested without being able to say the the sound, my parents worked with me. So at a young age, I saw that even though I was back here and even though I had some things against me, where you are is not where you have to be. My parents, where they were is not where they chose to be. And they taught me where you are is not where you have to be. So then my dad comes home one day and he says, hey, we're moving to Mexico. literally quit his job and everything. And think about how that will influence you. To your question, how do things influence us? My parents made these choices. And we often think that choices just affect us. But our choices affect all those around us and, of course, our legacy. And so he said, we're moving to Mexico. And all those things that I would have had growing up in America, now I forfeited for some new set of – Incredible experiences, like being a kid who now learned how to speak Spanish. But it didn't come naturally. So my parents put us into school and all kinds of disasters happened. I write about it in my book, Speak With No Fear, how I actually had psychosomatic fevers because my fear of being in front of people was so intense. And I had to learn how to overcome this again. Mm -hmm. Finally, we moved back to the United States when I am 18, and I set up life in America. But here's what I see again and again in my own journey is that often we let the situations around us, our circumstances, our fearings, our feels, what am I saying, (laughs) our fear and our feelings label us. And instead of us choosing the label, we let everything around us become labels to us or put labels on us. But what I learned in all of this was that I can choose a label for myself, that I don't have to be defined by how society or how someone else or how circumstance or how a failure or even a success would determine me and describe me and define me. But I can define that, determine that, choose that myself. That's been one of the major takeaways of my life.
0: And it's so fun to share with people, whether it's in coaching or in podcasts like this. Yeah, I mean, and that's an amazing transition because to hear you in that story say how you would have this fear of speaking and fear of, of getting public to now seeing you on stages and and working with brands and TEDx and all that—it's an amazing transition. And I always kind of, I always tell the story of me being a morning anchor, reading prompter, four and a half hours each morning in high school. I was the kid that was terrified of reading out loud. I would read the paragraphs ahead of time. Then someone would read two paragraphs instead of one. And I would, I'd be so nervous. My book would shake and I would stutter through the, the whole four or five sentences and I would sweat. Like I hated it. And now it's something I do for a living. So to see that transaction and that transformation in life, yeah, kind of is like proof for so many people that might be listening or watching that you can overcome that and overcome the fear Some people might even talk about, though, the lack of confidence in their ability to stand in front of a group or the lack of confidence to really verbalize and communicate what they're thinking. And you mentioned that there are two weights that people often carry that affects their confidence. How does it stop us from truly being ourselves and showing up how we are?
1: Yeah, all of us, we carry these two weights when we're going to speak in front of people. I'm carrying them right now. It just depends on where you're carrying them. Now, when you look at Ted, he's a strong buff guy, right? So Ted, my guess is that you do some front lateral raises from time to time in your workout. You grab some weights and you put them out in front of you. Just by curious here, how much weight do you put on a front lateral raise?
0: Uh, Front lateral raise, it depends. Sometimes if I'm looking for just some heavy weight, I'll do 20 to 25, but volume, I'll go maybe 10 to 15. It's actually the lighter weight that burns most.
1: Right. So, okay. So here you go. Ted is a strong guy. He grabs this 10 pound weight and he puts it in front of him. And after not too long, pretty soon his arm starts to shake Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden it becomes very weighty. Now you take that that same 10 pounds and you put it right by your chest and you can carry it all day. In fact, the weakest person that you know can take 10 pounds, a 10 pound dumbbell and hold it to their chest all day long. But that 10 pounds, you put it far away. And I don't care if you're the rock after a while, it's going to start to burn. Now you carry two 10 pound weights in both hands in any time you go up in front of spe- people and speak. what is the weight of content. It's what you're saying. It's the message. So right now I'm talking to you. My message is the two weights that you carry. And that's what I'm telling you about. So that's a 10 pound weight. But if I know it well, it's like carrying it to my chest. If I don't know this, and if this is the first time I've ever said this, then it's going to be something that's held far away from me. And I'm going to start shake. Mm-hmm. Likewise, when you're getting up in front of people, if you're given an update and you know the content, well, it's like holding it to the chest. But if you don't know the content, well, it's like holding it far away from yourself. If you invite me to come speak about communication to your organization, no problem. I can do it. I'll prepare. I know the content. I know the flow. I can do it. You invite me to come speak to your organization about medical procedures. And no matter how much I study, it's going to seem foreign to me. And it's going to be a 10-pound weight far away from my body. Mm-hmm. The second weight that we carry, because that one's pretty obvious. And you go, okay, that makes sense. But there's a second weight that you carry, and it's who you are when you say it. So you carry not only the weight of content, but also the weight of personhood. And this is how you are coming across. It's how you see yourself. It's identity. It's you It's personality, persona, personhood, all mixed together. So when you speak, you are communicating as someone. Who are you communicating as? What I see again and again in America and elsewhere as well as I have clients literally around the world is that when people get into the professional world, they have this professional persona they think they need to be. They have an avatar. They think, wow, you know what I need to speak is like really formal. One person said, everyone here is calm, cool, and collected, and I'm not. So her avatar is that she needs to be calm, cool, and collected, but that's not who she is. And you have an avatar. One person I was working with in the military said, I want to be a commanding officer like this person. And so I let her down this rabbit trail. I said, well, tell me about him. Well, he's big and he's tall and he's he was older and he had this booming deep voice and he was very stern and da, 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 goes down this path of describing. And I said, now, just out of curiosity, how would you describe yourself? And she described herself as completely opposite. I said, so you want to communicate like him, but that's not who you are. Right. See, what she was doing when she'd communicate is that she was taking that 10 pound weight of personhood and carrying it far away from her body. As she learned how to speak in her voice and how to speak as her, yes, improvement, but not trying to copy someone else, she became more and more confident. You will never be confident trying to be you, but being someone else in someone else's clothes, in someone else's body, someone else's experience. Maybe sure as an actor, but then people aren't looking at you. They're looking at the character you're portraying. When it's you speaking, you need to be you. Don't be a poor imitation of someone else. Be the best version of you. Okay. Learn to be you. Master you. Really take yourself on a journey of self-discovering and understand who your voice is. When I write a book, I'm always thinking about what's my voice as I'm writing. So, in Speak With No Fear, i talked very anecdotally and strategic but I almost did it as a dialogue with potential readers and interjected their voice. Mm-hmm. And that's the voice I wrote with when I wrote my book. That's coming out in June on emotional intelligence. I wrote it slightly different. I wrote it more as a researcher exploring this and understanding a little bit more. So I understand the voice that I'm writing in. When you speak, you have a voice, a persona, a personhood. And the further away from the real you it is, the less confident you will be.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's amazing at how, I mean, the parallels that happen in our lives. One of my first mentors in the business, when it came to me being a TV personality, we were watching film or we're watching some of my newscast. And he looks at me and he says, Ted, at the end of the day, this business comes down to two things. And it's very relative to what you're saying. He says, know what you're talking about and trust yourself. Yeah. Outside of that, it's all just fluff. But the two basis of what we're doing as a career with being TV on TV or communicating information over the airwaves is just know what you're talking about and trust yourself. And yeah. the way you just described it with the weight being close to the chest, I think that's so true. And it's a great depiction and a visualization for some of our listeners who they watch all these inspirations and inspiration's good. And they say, oh, okay, imitation is a form of flattery. But at the same time, if you're not being yourself, you're never gonna truly excel and communicate the way that you intend to do. Something you said earlier about where you are doesn't have to be where you stay. When your parents decided to make that huge shift. And I know so many people, they look at their current situation And a lot of us, we build an identity over the situation that we're in. We build an identity over the, I guess, mundane routines that our day-to-day has become. But you talk a lot about where you are isn't necessarily where you have to stay. How does that play into someone looking to maybe find some transformation in their lives? Right. So I... I followed up
1: with Speak With No Fear with a subsequent book called Lead With No Fear, and we talk about shifting. And the first one really hones in on exactly that idea. I wrote this with another executive coach and speaker, Steve Gutzler, and we both had this experience of working with so-called burn victims. So we used his story where he went to go speak at this camp, and as he's talking to a whole bunch of burn so-called victims, he said, let me just be honest right here as I'm talking to you. I've never really been around burn victims before, and you're an inspiration to me. One of the gentlemen came up afterwards and said, excuse me, Mr. Gutzler, we don't refer to ourselves as victims, but as survivors. See, a lot of times we think we are victims of whatever has been said about us or victims of our own failure, victims of our parents, victims of whatever it might be. And it's true. We may have been horrifically victimized. And these burn victims these so-called victims, they had been horrifically victimized by fire. And if anybody could use the word victim, it was them. But what happens when you stay in this mentality of victim, even if you have been victimized, then what happens is it becomes a label and it becomes a box and it becomes something you get stuck in. And all of us to some extent have boxes of, victimization that we allow ourselves to get put in and stay there. This is just who I am. It's just what has happened to me. It's as good as it can get. And although there are horrific situations of which people are victimized, and it's awful. The biggest victimization that happens is our self limiting negative thoughts that we talk about. And I just can't do it. I just can't get that promotion. I'm just not good at speaking. I've tried before and I just can't get out of this. And so we get stuck again and again and again and again. And whether it's a relationship routine and we just keep ruining relationships. And so we say something like, well, I'm just not good at relationships. And that's a victimization box. And so what I've done again and again with working with people is saying, you got to change the way you think. And you have to believe that where you are is not where you have to be. When people come work with me in one of my public speaking programs, and I only take about one to two clients per month, and I work with them and I partly motivate them. Look, you got to start with belief even before the actual strategies happen and speak with no fear. I have a chapter of sorts that's called before you begin, you believe. If you don't believe that you can go from wherever you are to this next place, then you won't even try. If I don't believe that I can finish a race, I'm not going to start running the race. If I don't believe that anybody will ever say yes to me, then I'm never going to ask anyone. If I don't believe I can sell anything, I'm not going to go into a sales career. For you to get to that next stop, you got to believe that where you are is not where you have to be and that you can progress. You can get out of the box. You can take off that label. You can do it. And so that's why it's so central. You can see that I'm, I'm motivated by this. My life mission is to help people realize their full potential. And so many people, they reduce their potential by the way that they think about themselves or by the way that they replay tapes of what they've done poorly. So where you are is not where you have to be. I've seen it in my family. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in my client's life. So wherever you are, it's not where you have to be.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And there's a lot of folks who maybe need to hear that because they'll look at, oh, well, the evidence shows and, you know, that evidence, you can throw it out the window because, you know, tomorrow starts today and today starts right now. And that's when you need to start applying the vision you have for your future. Right. And, And it is the situations are true, right? I mean, it's like the burn
1: survivor. It's not like all of a sudden changing their mental language from victim to survivor takes away the burns. I and mean, the burns are still there. It's just now they're going, no, 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 I don't have to stay in this. I can still have a great productive life with mobility and all these other things that maybe I
0: wouldn't think I could have if I was just a victim. Yeah. I mean, the possibilities are endless and they're there. And speaking of which, and, and starting with belief, kind of like the whole fake it till you make it thing. I know you, you tell folks, you know, pause, smile, breathe. And starting with that, even if somebody might be having, let's say someone's listening to this podcast, they're in the car. Somebody just cut them off and they're already five minutes late to work. The light just turned red on them. And the person that cut them off got through the green or through the yellow and they're sitting there just having a bad day. And you want them to stop, smile and breathe. What kind of impact can that have?
1: It's amazing that.
0: If you could boil all my
1: expensive programs down to three things, it would be those three words. So I tell some people, Hey, if you really want to save money, just learn how to do these three things because they have dramatic impact in your life. So for example, if you pause, you will take out fillers. If you pause, you can actually make yourself sound more coherent. If you pause, you have time to breathe. If you pause, it creates a gap that is filled with the interest of others. So pausing, it brings out about all kinds of great, great results. Smile, there's at least 14 positive benefits when you smile. It changes how you feel, it changes how others feel about themselves, it changes how others think about themselves, it changes the sound of your words, it releases neuropeptides into your system, producing sentiments of happiness and joy, and less pressure, so on and on it goes. So if you smile, already you're giving yourself that advantage. And then if you breathe, well, life is breath. Uh, what most people do is they go speaking, I gotta breathe and I'm a nervous speaker so what I'll do is I'll just breathe. so they actually <sighs> take deep breath at the beginning but then they end up being actually tighter than they are when they're in in the middle of a, a speaking normal. So here's what you really need to do those three things those are things that you practice off stage so you can do on stage. A lot of people go, oh okay, I'll start doing that and then they smile this really plastic fake smile. Mm-hmm. Because they're not used to looking at what it looks like in the mirror or breathe. I'll breathe. <gasps> or I'll pause. And I don't know how to pause. And so I don't know if I did pause. But if you practice those off stage, you can perform them on stage to great benefit.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think also pausing for those who are ambitious in terms of maybe getting on stage and speaking, a lot of times we have those fillers, the the uhs, or you know what I'm saying? And even listening back to my early episodes of the podcast, I had those fillers and I had to learn how to slow down, allow myself to breathe, pause, and also let my mind catch up to what it was I was really intending to say so I could articulate myself better if I wanted to, I'm from New York. I grew up in, in Long Island. So if you listen to my friends and I speak, we talk really, really fast. Usually, this would be my speed if I were trying to talk to you, but that's when the fillers start to come in. So I intentionally slow myself down, not just for the benefits of my mind catching up, but for the benefits of being able to breathe and maybe articulate my message a little bit better and not be in haste. Speaking yeah. of getting on stage and or even presenting to staff. A lot of our listeners, they're entrepreneurs, freelancers, whether they're presenting to potential clients, maybe they have a staff that they're presenting to or trying to lead, communicating a vision or anybody who, I mean, really all of us do this every day needs to communicate our thoughts or be a leader of our families or in our organizations. You wrote this book, Speak With No Fear. What was the inception behind that? And what's some of the benefits we can enjoy by adding some of the practices that you've included in it?
1: Yeah, going back into my 20s, I was a speaker for 18 years and then I went into consultative sales and then I kind of got recruited into that and use a lot of the skills. But I had led companies, I had led groups, I had led organizations, I had lots of people that I spoke in front of. Then I was a consultative sales and so I'm doing sales. But along the way in the entire journey, I always coached people, whether they were my employees, whether they were business leaders, whoever they were, I coached people. And as a result of that, I got the question again and again, how do I get over my fear of public speaking? How do I get rid of this? And so I took strategies that I was working on with people and challenged my friend who was a client at the time, who's become a friend. I put them down and wrote every single day at 4.30 in the morning, got up, wrote for an hour and a half, and then coach, and then go on to my job. Well, these became tried and tested and true Ways of overcoming fear of speaking. So I put it out there as a book and it just caught on fire and just ended up on Forbes pretty fast and has spread around the world. It just got translated to Italians being translated to other languages. One of the reasons why is because I am on the book. So I'm not this polished, perfect speaker. I had to learn how to get to where I am. I tell those stories in the book. And people go, in fact, one person who reviewed my book very poorly on Audible said, if this guy can do it, anybody can. And I thought, yeah, actually, I'll take that. I'll take that as a positive. And it's got 600 other reviews between Audible and Amazon, mostly are positive. But it's incredible to see how people have found themselves in my story. Yeah, I relate. I get it. I understand And so it's been really encouraging. I release second edition next week of this recording and the workbook and just so thrilled to see how helpful it's been. What this did was it promoted actually my coaching platform more than I intended to the point where I had to choose whether I was going to go between my day job and the side work and COVID
0: helped that. So I went full time. Nice and congratulations on that. And I imagine that's been a journey in itself because you know fear of speaking. I think when surveying people about their greatest fear, it's one of the top fears in general. It's just the fear of speaking. And and there's and I know we we've spoken earlier on the podcast of what happens with our reptilian brain and the fear of rejection, which when we even mentioned a little bit on the Patreon page how the fabrication of fear, what we're afraid of is not being accepted. Because I mean in In ancient times, nomadic times, excommunication from the group equaled death. That's not the case anymore. We're not not standing presenting for our lives. We're just giving information. Right. (laughs) Talk a little bit about maybe the unrealistic weight we put on public speaking and how that fear could be so paralyzing to so many when in fact it might not be as much of a threat as people perceive it to be. You know, when you
1: look at that whole fear of rejection again and again, one of the strategies I talk about in the book is imagine the worst. Now, when people first read it, they go, why would I, why would I imagine the worst? I'm already imagining the worst. And I said, no, 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 you need to imagine the worst. So I've literally had this exercise with people and I put it into my workbook that comes out. And the idea is this, we often think about the best. And then if we practice, we often practice in a very sterile environment. So we're imagining we're doing well, and we're trying to get away from thinking bad. And then we're practicing in the sterile environment where there's no interruptions, maybe our family, but we can deal with that. There's no real interruptions. There's no negative body language. There's no Zoom mistakes. And so we practice, and we practice, and we practice, and we're thinking about the best, thinking about the best, think about the best. Well, the next day comes. And we're just nervous and all of a sudden Zoom turns on and they turn it over to you. And now this person is clicking off and this person interrupts or this person walks into the conference room and all of a sudden we're in a dirty environment. And so the whole idea about imagine the worst is about doing the other part of these two ways that we normally do it, to practice in a dirty environment and to imagine the worst. And here's what's interesting is when you imagine the worst, it's rarely that bad. If you don't do well in your company presentation, that's not the reason why your husband or wife is going to leave you. If they leave you, that's leaving you for some totally other reason. If you don't do well on your Zoom presentation, your kids aren't going to suddenly hate you because of that. And think about what really bad could happen. You could get embarrassed. Okay, I've been embarrassed many times. You could get so-called rejected. Okay, it looks like you've covered that and rejection is not being excommunicated from society. You could not get the job, but then you can learn from that and get the next job. And several of my clients have not gotten the job and then gotten the next job. And so if you really look at the negative outcomes of what happens in your presentation, it's not as bad as it seems. So one of the things I encourage is actually people to really visualize the worst case scenario. Like, hey, everybody's disinterested. You forgot to put deodorant on. Zoom is glitchy and everything's halting and and then practice. So you're practicing dirty so that you're ready for a dirty environment. Don't practice sterile and then go into a dirty environment where it's just too easy and or too hard, and you're thrown off. No, instead, practice as if it's going to be real. As athletes, we know that we have to practice and recreate the most real conditions possible. So, if you're going to run a race in the in the mountains, you don't practice on the beach. You run a race, and you run and practice in the mountains because that off stage practice is going to help you on stage. And that's what I encourage again and again. With all of this fear and anxiety, just to your point right there, is practice dirty so that you're ready to perform dirty. Likewise, imagine the worst, and it'll give you perspective that it's not as bad as you actually believe. And so, this is it's a way to practice with a mind versus just practicing in front of a mirror, which is also good, but it's better if you can recreate the future reality.
0: Yeah, there's so many variables that you can't necessarily account for in the practice. So it's best to kind of just start throwing those variables. And a lot of us see the videos of the quarterback with the ball in their hand and then they're throwing things in his face and they're asking him to make the play while throwing a little tennis ball for him to catch. They're making his environment chaotic so he can learn to operate in that environment. Exactly, exactly. I want to make sure that our listeners can have an opportunity to get the book, Speak With No Fear, as well as your other great books. And I also want to make sure that they can reach out to you if there's something that you can serve them with, help them overcome some of their fear when it comes to public speaking. I know the book would do a great launch of that for their journey, but even further, if they're needing of your coaching and communication coaching, I would love for them to have the opportunity to uh, get in contact with you.
1: Yeah, hey, thank you Ted. So people can reach out to me at info at info@mikeacker.com. You can find me on my website mikeacker.com. If you go to Amazon, type in Mike Acker. Other people use my name as a keyword to sell their public speaking books and you'll find my book, bright orange right there, and my other books as well. Really a Google of Mike Acker is going to bring up my Twitter, my my LinkedIn, my mm-hmm. everywhere that I'm at. I would love to connect with you or info at mikeacker.com if you just want the email address.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'll have those links in the show notes as well. And folks will be able to kind of just open up their app and connect with you on that. I really appreciate you taking the time today and sharing some of your knowledge. And before we wrap it up, I just want to recap some of the gems that you left along the way in case any of our listeners missed it. First, you know, they they worked with me. When you first hear in the introduction, you know, being the son of drug smugglers turned conservative, you know, people might paint a picture in their minds of, oh, if parents were drug smugglers what kind of upbringing was that but you know mike just translating how much his parents were no attentive worked with him and that was some of the lessons that he learned in terms of communication and leadership down the line and our choices have consequences understanding that the choices we make can not only impact the people closest to us but that can have a ripple effect as well and understanding the weight of that makes it a little bit more attentive and when we just start making those decisions And we choose the label. A lot of us let the outside environment and the outside labels that come to us kind of define us. But the reality is we get to choose the labels. And of course, when you start speaking in public, you're weighing two things when it comes to confidence, the weight of the content and also the weight of the personality. Stop trying to be like somebody else. We have this culture on Instagram. We're seeing all these lives that we want to live. We're seeing these other people that we want to emulate. But until we emulate ourselves, we are not truly going to have the confidence that we hope for so much. And who are you communicating as? Understand that you have to trust yourself and find that personality and find your voice in order to really enjoy That ability to communicate and share your thoughts and your inspiration with the world. And also, of course, you need to believe. It doesn't happen unless you believe, as Mike said, and you really start with that. Because if you don't believe, you don't even take the first step, whether it be the sales call or whether it be standing on stage. And imagine the worst. Every time I get ready to do this podcast, I don't necessarily imagine the worst, but I know that I am sure to mess up. As someone who hosts events, I always tell the organizers, You've spent a lot of time planning this and putting this together. There's one thing I can guarantee today is that something will go wrong. I always guarantee that. But I can also let you know that it is likely that the people attending, watching, or who are part of this won't even notice. So just prepare for the worst and understand that it's okay and it's not that bad. Mike, thank you once again for taking the time and sharing your knowledge with us today.
1: Hey, Ted, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And I trust
0: that this will be helpful as people put this into practice. Absolutely. I I believe that is true, and which is why I'm encouraging our listeners and our viewers who have made it to the end to share this with someone you think can get value from it. Go ahead, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button while you're at it so you can get a new episode each and every single week. And give us a rating. Let us know how we're doing. The only way we can improve is, where you let us know where we can improve. And if you love the podcast so much, you want to support on a monetary level, be sure to subscribe to our Patreon page for as little as $1 a month. You get extra content and extra audio from guests like Mike and others. We appreciate you guys. And as we always say at the end of the episode, everybody wants the sunshine, but they don't want the rain, but you can't get the pleasure without a little pain. Let's grow.